This is the Interesting-ish Podcast, where I hope you listen long enough to say, this was pretty interesting-ish. My name is Rick Meyering. I'll find the interesting stories, and you keep listening. Stick with me, folks. I'm still talking myself through this. Alright, once I have recorded something, then I can save it and add it to an episode. That's, that's part of what we try to do. With integrity, we try to help um, people who are helping others to be consistent in their mission of the work that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. The whole walk of, of the, inner, the inner work in our, deep in our soul, the, the wrestling of the human condition, yes. and this growing up process, which is hard on all of us. <laughs> it does. What you just heard is a short soundbite in a conversation between myself and Travis Atkinson. He is a consultant in the behavioral health care industry. Uh, he's a licensed professional counselor. And let's just look at that quote one more time. With integrity, we try to help people who are helping others to be consistent in the mission of the work that they're doing. And that really sums up what we talk about in the next hour. And please know that we go long form in this conversation, but there's such a wealth of knowledge that I'm uh, really grateful and appreciative towards Travis for this time, uh, where we dig into all kinds of different topics. We will look at the country crooners that helped shape his music appreciation, such as Johnny Cash. We will look at... um, the benefits of playing Beatles covers at crisis centers. We will talk about systems thinking in terms of behavioral health and uh, being the Chick-fil-A of of behavioral health. Uh, We will talk about Deep Greens and Blues, who is Travis's uh, band that he plays with. And we will just talk about music and how it transcends the language of our day and that it connects people um, one to another and really is a benefit towards uh, greater mental health. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation. I'll include some uh, tidbits in the show notes so you can uh, connect to different pieces. And if you're looking for just some great music as well as um, three questions at the end of my podcast from Travis, there is a uh, episode 3A that is shared just before this. Um, which is a small tidbit of this conversation. So hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Please reach out to me if you have feedback or just want to talk. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Interesting-ish podcast. I have with me uh, a good friend, Travis Atkinson. Am I pronouncing that correct? You are. And uh, Travis also goes by Troubadour Travis <laughs> in some of the crowds that we run with. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. One of the focuses I have for this podcast, and it's in its early stages, is getting into the who-ness of a person as opposed to all of the things that they do. Uh, certainly, the conversation leads us to all the activity that you're into, and uh, we are going to intersect a few pieces of your life. Um, But I want to kind of start with kind of your childhood experience and kind of the things that started to peak up that were just of interest to you. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. Okay. Uh, So I was born and raised here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, 
grew up on the near northeast side of town. Um, got a, a brother who's two years younger than me. And uh, so my mom and dad and I, we grew up on a, a small uh, cul-de-sac with a little school up at the top of the road um, and some other playgrounds around. Um, went... Uh, so went to went to school here, grew up. Um, as I was um, growing up, my dad exposed me to um, a lot of classic country music. A mm-hmm. lot of like, um, I would call them country crooners, maybe, or or just uh, like Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and sure and, and Merle Haggard and and he he also had this record uh, which was a Linda Ronstadt album. And um, she's just had this really dynamic voice, and I didn't mm-hmm. realize it until maybe five or ten years ago, where I would hear some of these songs, and I would know the entire song. I'd have the entire song memorized, like the entire saxophone solo. And I'm <laughs> like, my dad must have played this record, like you know, front to back, because then I would know what the next song was. Sure. You know, and and so I just started to internalize that a little bit, and I didn't realize how much I appreciated it until I moved away and. And started seeking out my other music, but then I, I ended up coming back to that. Yeah. So uh, my parents got us involved in music from the time we were about seven or eight, uh, like church choirs, piano lessons, things like that. And uh, so I started to find an interest in music and enjoyed singing. Um, as I got into high school, about 16, um, I found my dad's old uh, Gibson guitar which uh, I didn't realize that Gibson was like a name of guitars. I just honestly maybe thought somebody painted this name like on the top of the guitar. But yeah. turns out it's a pretty sweet guitar. Um, you didn't I, you didn't like take a pen and like <laughs> scratch out Gibson. And like, well, this is Atkinson now. <laughs> yeah, times have changed. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't do that. But uh, but my dad had played guitar like around uh, campfires and stuff. At, sure. At our, okay. Um, at the beach and stuff, and so. He gives, uh, starts just giving me some basic lessons. Uh, the first song that he taught me was um, uh, um, Leaving on a Jet Plane. Mm. And, and the way you can play on guitar is these pretty easy chord patterns. You just slide them back and forth, and there's only three chords in the song, and it's just fun to sing along to and harmonize. And so, so I learned that. Then I start, you know, branching off, trying to learn... Uh, you know, whatever popular like '90s music was out, like more than words or you know, something, yeah. whatever the whatever maybe the um, the girls at high at school liked, I would I would try to learn yeah. and play you know play songs with uh, with church groups and things like that. More than words is that Nelson Brothers? Uh, no, that's uh, uh, I think Nelson might be one of their names, but it's Extreme is the name. Extreme, of the yeah. It would it was kind of a outside song for them because like all their other stuff was like pretty rocking always mm-hmm. good harmonies but mm-hmm. um but it, you know they just write this ballad that just becomes yeah. timeless and yeah so one of my favorite cd sets i think from what the cd world was monster ballads yeah and it was during that yep. whole era of like these rockers who were like we're gonna bring it in tight for you and just yes. really get the ballad <laughs> out so oh yeah, yeah. such good music no i actually had a chance when i was in college uh I was in an acapella group, and, and one of the singers in our group arranged a medley of monster ballad songs. Okay. So we had Bad English and, um, well, like, When I See You Smile, and, you know, um, I don't think they put Mr. Big in there, but, like, right, it was just, like, this right. epic, you know, three-chord, like, 
it was really really fun. Those are no, they are they're great songs. It's like fun. It's like when people with with uh, you know rock and hair want to slow dance. Like mm-hmm. that's what you put on is the Monster Ballads. So awesome. Yeah. So parents really brought you into that at an early age. Yep, they were they were um, musical growing yeah. up themselves. You know, piano, instruments, choir, things like that. So they, that was a value of, that they um, imparted to us. So. You know, so I'm pursuing music uh, in, in high school, singing in choirs and, and um, trying to learn guitar a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also start to find this interest in psychology um, and about how people think. And I'm just I'm really curious about that. Like, how, how does our brain work? But how does how do our emotions tie into that? And yeah. how are we relating to each other? And so I start taking some psychology classes in high school, and I'm like, I think this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, I re- like, I love music, but like, I think what I really want to do is, is find ways to understand how people work and then help them in, in that space. Yeah. And do you, at an early, you know, in high school, some people are in different high school settings where they have counselors that say, hey, this is something you have a knack for. Did you have sophomore, junior, senior a knack for, I'm going to start entering into more of these courses and look at career path for college? Um, you know, I knew that, I think that's where I wanted to start with like an undergrad is to go into psychology, but I had, I was interested in a lot of things. Yeah. I, I think I played like six different sports over the four years yeah. and, and I was in musicals. And so like my, it was a great time for my interests to, to, to experiment with interests, mm-hmm. but I don't think I was cultivating something, you know, deep until I was a little further on. You were just busy tasting all things yes. that you could be passionate about. I was like about. at Baskin Robbins, just like every week, like different yeah. scoop kind of a thing. You know, yep. just like let's see what sticks. Like, yeah. which was fun. It's a good way to see the world, and it's also you get in a lot of different. Um, you get to experience or interact with a lot of different social circles. Yeah, because some people are just exclu- exclusively musical or exclusively basketball or you know exclusively totally. This. And you seem like a person that you could pick up the next thing and and probably excel in it. Well, I can at least I can talk. I can probably talk for five minutes with people about <laughs> most things. <laughs> sure. And maybe that goes back to the curiosity. Yeah. Model. So I remember my senior year of high school. I tried out for the basketball team, and meanwhile, the English teacher said, um, "You know, I'd like you to to try out for the spring play." Mm-hmm. And she essentially said, "I don't think you can do both." And probably one of my biggest regrets is not playing basketball. Um, I really wish I had played with some yeah. of those friends, and I love the game. I really wasn't all that good at it. <laughs> um, but I decided to take on the spring play, and I have a passion for acting still today, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really thankful for that. As you got into college, um, you only have so much capacity. Where did those things start to narrow in? Tell us that. Uh, between maybe music and psychology, I suppose. Sure. So I, I decide when I go to school. So I, I go to... I, um, started taking classes at uh, University of Michigan and decided I want to be a psychology major. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't, I w- well, actually, I, I, I decided I was going to be a psychology major later, later. I thought that the essence of what I wanted to do was to be a psychiatrist. Now, for those people that don't know, a psychiatrist is a doctor who can, who can prescribe medications. A psychologist is uh, someone who sits more in like individual therapy or will do a lot of uh, assessments for um, whether it's a learning disability or autism or, you know, they'll, they'll do a lot of um, structured right. ass- assessments. And so I learned about psychiatry because um, 
psychiatry and psychology because there were two psychologists that lived in the cottage next door to my parents' cottage uh, growing up. And so I got some books from them on like the classics and just like mm. had conversations and I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. I thought the way that I could be most helpful for people was through medicine and through using uh, like pharmacology to, to help people with their problems. Right. Not really realizing what other jobs were out there. Um, I, my parents weren't too bad about this, but it, but a lot of parents can just fall into that. Are you going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, kind of like, you right. know, they, they recommend what either what they understand or what um, society values. Right. Give us the secure label that we can say. We can tell, you know, Grandma yes, Smith at exactly. Thanksgiving. Oh, he's definitely going to be a this, psychologist. This fits really well in the Christmas letter. Yeah. You know? Not that yeah. that was necessarily your parents, but I think there's been the conversations I've been having is there's been a change in career, uh, maybe not career paths, but the the different um, sections of particular careers where um, due to technology, due, due to the things we've learned about psychology and yep. um, psychotherapy and, and behavioral health, all this stuff, um, different opportunities for work are popping up. Yes. Yep. I agree with that. <clears throat> so... I'm uh, so I go pre med. So when I come into school, I'm, I'm pre med, and it's not good for your GPA if you go pre med for the first year and a half, and then you decide that's not a good idea. So I'm taking chemistry, physics. Um, gosh, I'm, I probably blocked out a lot of these things, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm just I'm starting to notice that G- these are just not they're not sticking with like they're not they don't align well with like mm-hmm. what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And so only after taking those classes and having to withdraw or get terrible grades on them or whatever, it, you know, do I come to realize that I don't have to be pre-med to be helpful to people. Um, why don't I just do a psychology degree? Right. Right. So I start to pursue that and it feels more in line with my value, with, with my vision for what I want to do, how I want to help people. Um, Michigan's very much like a research focused school. So, that's not my my forte but I did learn a lot on that side of like how to how to look at um, the the journal articles that people quote on the radio all the time right mm-hmm. like, like oh studies show that like if you um, you know if you act this way then you're more likely to have this personality or whatever it is or you know here's a behavioral uh, test with with rats or with people sure you know those kinds of things so it, it certainly gave me that perspective but um, but I knew that I needed to to go back to school for something more after that, and I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. But I, I I wasn't too concerned about it at the time. So so that's what I'm doing on the academic side. On the other side, I mentioned the acapella group started a band. Uh, we were called Faces for Radio, okay, um, which is fitting that we're doing this podcast. <laughs> um, come, comes full circle, I guess. But. Um, uh, you know, started like writing more was a, was a great like expression outlet. Um, enjoyed and enjoyed having that. Like like for me, all along I think music has been this like this version of therapy for me. Yeah, where I can take pieces of a structured world that makes sense that I want a logical world, and but then I can also. Um, I can make sense of it or I can, I can uh, relate to it through creative expression and through something that's individual and that um, 
just kind of uh, it gets to the other side of of who I am. I've been able to like access that and explore it enough that the world doesn't seem as daunting to me because I can I can take it in through these different lenses. So, um, you know, college finishes up. I I go. Uh, I move to Chicago. I start working for a nonprofit. Um, do like in the mental health field, uh, working with people who have what's called severe and persistent mental illness. Mm -hmm. So this means you've got a diagnosis of, let's say, bipolar disorder, depression, um, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, and you kind of carry that for your, your life. And a lot of people that have those diagnoses long-term are needing help long-term. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not necessarily a good system um, because everybody that, that has a problem shouldn't necessarily be labeled and then uh, brought into... Uh, public uh, help systems if if we can find ways to help them be independent but, yeah but I was helping people who were um, who had this severe and persistent mental illness and were trying to live independently so I got a chance to support them and, and find ways that I could kind of walk with them on their journey and so the, the work you were doing because we, we've talked a little bit about <clears throat> this transition in terms of Systems thinking about, um, yep. you know, systems thinking about uh, mental health. And so was your work in Chicago at that time with the nonprofit on a macro level uh, from a systems base in terms of how do we treat mental health? Um, not really. It was it, it was pretty small. And, and, and so as I'm doing this work, I know that it's a it's an opportunity to learn, but that it's not what I want to do forever. Okay, that like ultimately, um, I want to be a therapist, mm -hmm. and that's why I pursued a psychology degree. I want, you know, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist, sit in a room, do individual therapy with mm -hmm. people. You know, that I felt like that would be. Well, it sounds simple. It's a, also a great challenge, mm -hmm. and then it, I, it, I would experience a lot of growth connecting with people one on one in that space. Mm -hmm. And and at the time, are you? You mentioned. Um... During your graduate studies, you were were you doing some counseling with veterans? When or I got, is this when not I, matching up? So when I started grad school, so I start to think about okay, I want to go to um, I want to go to grad school, and I don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So my grades aren't great, and I apply for grad schools, and I I can't get into any of them, you know. And so uh, for a PhD program, let's say in psychology, yeah, well. Lucky for me, you know, you can't you can't get upset about every closed door that happens in your life because sometimes it's it's just not the right thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And what I realized as I learned, actually, I was talking, I was having a conversation with a friend at work about what I wanted to do next, and he's like, "Well, why don't you go into counseling? Why don't you get your master's degree in counseling?" And I'm like, "What's that?" And he explained it, and I was like, "That's what I wanted to do all along." <laughs> I just never knew there was a name for it. I thought I had to be a doctor. I thought I had to be a psychologist. I thought I had to do all these things, right? Yeah. So I look into it, and I I apply for this program that's that's uh, local, right by where I live, and I get in, and I go into the first day of grad school, and I sit down, and the professor starts talking, and if if I didn't cry, I I almost did hmm. because. All of these thoughts and these ideas that had been welling up inside of me for a decade were suddenly coming out of this person's mouth as he talks about 
what this program is about and what you can expect. Wow. And so it was just, yeah. it was, it was like coming home mm-hmm. and realizing that like, this is, this is the essence of what I want to do. This is who I am. This is what I want to do and, and who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so things flourish at this time? It gets a lot better. Yeah. Everything starts to make sense. Yeah. You know, I can, I can rely on the experiences that I've had at these nonprofits. I can, um, you know, infuse my education, mm-hmm. you know, all, all going in the direction of, Hey, um, uh, you know, we're going to, uh, we'll finish up this program. We'll start to pursue a career in, in counseling or, mm-hmm. or therapy. Um, and it'll be just what I wanted. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Yeah. How old are you at this time? Oh gosh. I'm like 20 <laughs> reach back 26, 27 maybe. Yeah. So I'd taken like two, three years off between undergrad and when I went back to school. And is music at this time, um, both, is, is it taking a back seat? Is it getting the time you want to give it? Well, one of the great things about this, it's, it's it is, um, it is remaining integrated mm-hmm. in, into my life, into what mm-hmm. I'm doing. So I get a chance to bring my guitar once a week to work and, um, just play cover songs with, um, like classic rock and Beatles and stuff with like people who are at this, um, this day center. Mm -hmm. And I just find out how like meaningful it is for them. Um, we, you know, we do some music projects, we do like some performances and things like that. And it's just like, Oh, this is like, this is awesome. This is awesome that to bring this, these two worlds together. Mm -hmm. So it's not happening a lot then, but that's like an example, but yeah, I'm singing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing other acapella groups. I'm, started a different band with actually my friend from from college that had moved to Chicago so so we we get a band up and going you know we're having fun playing bars once or twice a month on the weekends yeah. and and uh, and doing a little bit of writing like we had we had re- recorded an EP down there um, that's when I start to like really get a little bit more introspective so I, I think one of the experiences for me was uh, of growing up so I lived in the studio apartment and the the bedroom of the studio apartment was as big as a bed. Okay, so <laughs> imagine three walls touching a queen bed. Sure, that's that was where I slept. You know, I mean, like, I couldn't fall off the bed because there was there was walls all around it. Um, but it was a it was a lonely time. Um, Chicago's the third biggest city in the country, mm. and I'm sitting in the studio apartment every day after work, and I don't I have less than four friends in the city and when you live in a big city it does like if people don't live two blocks from you you're not going to see them more than like once a month right you know, like if, right. if you don't try really hard right and so i am just trying to learn what it's like to be with myself and that opens up like some some introspection and, mm-hmm. and some writing where i can start to be like okay i can be comfortable just being with me and 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 that affects my songwriting and and how i kind of look at the world Mm -hmm. and eventually I make friends and I, you know, get to know people and get into social circles. But that was kind of formative for me to be, to be stripped away of all of those like good times from college and all those other experiences and just be like, okay, just be here and, you know, and find, find what that is. So, um, so I, I do some writing, I play some open mics down there, you know, I have a couple shows that are where we get to play like our originals, um, or I get to open for another band or something like that. Um, but it doesn't take off full full force, yeah. partly because 
I'm doing the work and then I'm doing grad school at the same time. So, and then I get into an internship. Um, I reconnect with um, uh, my girlfriend from high school and college who becomes my wife. Mm. So, um, you guys connected in Chicago? For, yes. The yeah. third time was the charm. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> we, um, yeah, we dated in high school, Aaron and I did. And, uh, and then in college we did a little bit and then down in Chicago. So oh, wow. it was, uh, it was like a trifecta, but then, then we, um, we moved back to Grand Rapids cause we're both from here. Okay. And so I record, I finished grad school in June. I finished recording my solo album, mm. which I had been saving up for for like a year. And, you know, it was just like my, and it was like a, it was kind of like putting a bow on my experience in Chicago. You yeah. Know, be like, yeah. hey, like I wrote these songs while I was here and like this is the essence of it. And then, um, and then uh, she was pregnant. And so we had like every life change on your tax form possible like yeah. the same year right <laughs> so it's moving it's you know you finish school you we each start two new jobs wow. we have a baby we buy a house um all in all in the same year so then um i get a job i really want to be a therapist i really want to be a therapist okay but there's no it's it's tough you have to go through a licensure process of two years in order to be able to be an independent therapist and work by yourself. So I'm going to have to work underneath someone. I'm going to have to make a lower rate. Yeah. But i got to find someone who believes in me, right? Yeah. And I have these interviews with some places, and they're cool people, but they don't have the capacity. And I don't blame them. That's just like they're – that's that's where they're at. Right, right. right. So um, I get an offer. Sometimes, like, beggars can't be choosers, right? Mm -hmm. And so while I'm still in Chicago, I have some interviews over the phone um, for this organization and they've got this crisis program that they need a manager for and I'm not particularly interested but I'm like I will do this mm -hmm. because uh, I got I need to do something and I'm, I've got a degree now and so I need to do work that's that's related to that degree um, and it was hard it was really hard work uh, but I found uh, strangely I found an interest in it it almost felt like um, that, that God had put this on my heart and was like, You've, you need to explore this more and think of this bigger than just the problems that you're experiencing every day. Hmm. And so I started to wonder if other people were doing, were providing these services in the state. Mm -hmm. And so I started calling around, started visiting other programs, started realizing that they're all existing in silos. Yeah. They're all doing really hard work. And we could afford to um, uh, connect with each other. Like right. that we kind of need each other. Right. You know, that it's not like you're going to toil and you're going to get, I, there's a, a trauma therapist that I really like. His name's John Briere. I saw him speak a couple years ago and he says, people who have been through trauma who don't get therapy or don't get help will still get a little bit better. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's just the nature of humans is like we, you know, we are resilient and like, we're not going to make a full recovery by ourselves in most cases, but we're going to get a little bit better. Right. But you can get so much better if you have, if you do have help and you do have people around you. And so that's kind of how I related it to the work I was doing. I'm going to get better at this a little bit. Right. I'm a human, you know, and, and, and I, that's, that's ingrained maybe in my, my, how I'm wired, but I'm going to get so much better 
and feel so much more connected if I can find other people that are doing the same thing. So that's when I started to look at work beyond just what I was doing in my office right. to what's happening in the state or what's happening across the country. Right. And so now within your industry, in an attempt to kind of connect these silos from being in their own independent work, everybody accomplishing the responsibilities that are put on their desks, what is, what, how has it changed your position in terms of, um, you know, how long have you been there and what, what type of efforts are you guys starting to face? You talked about um, putting on some of your own experiences, mm-hmm. retreats, um, being invited to uh, speaking engagements. Tell me a little bit about that transition okay. so of connection. I, so I go from working in these crisis programs um, to working in a psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. as a clinical supervisor. Love the work. Was was right up my alley of, of like helping people in who are in a, a substantial amount of need and getting and and getting them connected with what they need. So I go and do that and. Then uh, I find this opportunity to work with a company that I'm working with right now, which is called TBD Solutions. So TBD Solutions works with um, nonprofits and behavioral health providers and counties and um, regional and statewide um, authorities or entities that that manage behavioral health services in most cases for people who are on Medicaid. Okay. But uh, can also can be can be for anyone. And what's different about this work is that I think about this desire that I had, and maybe I still do a little bit, to just sit down with one person at a time and help them. Sure. This work is more of a macro focus, more of a systems focus, where we're trying to help the people who are, who are responsible for the lives of everyone in their community or the lives of everyone who has Medicaid in their community mm-hmm. to help them. And so how do you help the helper, right, right? Right. How do you help the administrator to do their work better? Right. And that's a big challenge. One that I, that in, most of the time I really embrace, uh, but it's, it forces you to think differently. Some mm-hmm. people call it population health. Okay. So yes, we care about, um, one person's experience in Plainfield Township with, let's say, you know, um, with issues with water quality. Right. But how do we care about everyone? And how do we approach that? You know, that's just, that's one example. But, but um, how do I, how do I not just make sure that, that Steve that comes into the office, into the, the crisis center on a Tuesday gets really good help? But how do I make sure that every Steve that comes through gets the help that they need? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. My questions go so many different ways there. And do you, was there, are you guys pioneering some of this thought in terms of, establishing software or questionnaires or systems thinking for um, community health centers what is it is there any work that's been done on this already or are you buying not that not that today in 2018 but in the last decade it you know i feel like there's other industries where there's lots of systems in place do you feel like you guys were on a discovery path of how you make these connections I would say that we're not we're not creating new systems, but we're we're trying to bring them into spaces that haven't had them before. Okay. Okay. So think about any um, uh, any effective like advocacy organization or trade union. Mm-hmm. Um, 
at some I'll use an example from from my industry and that's the the National Association of Social Workers or NASW okay so there's these three branches of of um, three major branches of helping professionals there's the social workers the psychologists and the counselors the social workers are known to have the best advocacy efforts and the best like um, just uh, shared vision and movement like they have the best reimbursement rates mm-hmm. for their services. They are widely recognized and respected. And that all came because they have been putting work into this for 50 years. Or right. More, right. So they know who to talk to. They know how to get things done. Yep. And that's great. So if, if you want to have flexibility in your uh, life as a, a helping professional or as a clinician, most people become social workers right? because you can do anything with it. You can work as a case manager, you can work as a therapist, you can, and there's not a lot of restrictions. So there's, there's, there's trade unions and associations like that that are highly effective across the country. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that they bring is shared experience and almost um, like direction around what's important and, um, and how they, and, and and how people relate to one another. Yeah. So um, if you've ever been to a conference or a, a rally or a, a retreat where like you meet people who think like you mm-hmm. and they can relate to your experiences, it, it is, it's, a, it's the power of empathy. It's just incredibly um, honoring and validating to meet someone who has gone through something similar and yes, can relate. That you, don't have to, you don't have to go too hard explaining what your you know yep. what your life is like. They yep. get it. There's right? common ground. There's a place where you've already begun the discussion and now you can take it to new places. Yep. Yeah. So these crisis programs, they're called crisis residential programs in Michigan. These crisis programs that I worked in, there's about 600 of them across the country. Okay. They've never had an advocacy arm before. To talk to to, exp- to to talk about shared experience and to talk about how are you doing what you do really well and how can other people learn from that right right so what we're trying to do is we're trying to take this systems approach and say um, let me put it this way um, I don't know what your affinity is towards certain restaurants but one that I really like is Chick Fil A okay yeah and I'm so glad <laughs> that Chick Fil A has made it in, into our area yes that, that's yeah here. they I, just got into Michigan three yeah. years ago yes yep very okay. recently yeah yeah um and and there's been other restaurants that have finally like creeped up here but I'll I'll, I'll stick with Chick Fil A so yeah. Chick Fil A used to be an experience that you had to travel to get to, you know, like let's say you're driving down to Florida for vacation right, or you're right, going right. to visit family in the like the southeast. Like it was like, oh great, we can get Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you go an hour out of your way, yes. you're like, ah, if we go this way, there's a Chick-fil-A <laughs> in Indianapolis. <laughs> and you don't have to apologize. Right, for that, right, right, right. It's really Everybody's great. on board. Yes, they yeah. get it. So with Chick-fil-A, um, you have this what what I would call a transformational uh, dining experience yeah. relative to its competitors. Yep, okay? absolutely. The people, I've never met just more committed people in food service mm-hmm. with customer, or, you know, customer service within, within the food industry as I have at Chick-fil-A. Yep. I've, I've read about them and I've, I've, I've listened to podcasts about them. Like they are as good as they say they are mm-hmm. because they created an experience and they greatly value the people that are, are there. Yeah. So what I know is, 
if I go to a Chick-fil-A in any part of the country, mm-hmm. my experience is almost always going to be a very positive experience. Right. If I go into a crisis program, I don't know what my experience is going to be like from one state to the mm-hmm. next. And if this service can deliver on what it's made to do, which is just to serve people who are in a mental health crisis with, 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 with high levels of, of effectiveness where you see the depression go down, you see their, right. their anxiety go down, whatever it is. So you do that. You do that in a way that, that the person receiving services is really appreciative of. That, right. that they're grateful for the services and they enjoyed receiving these services. And you do it at a lower cost than a psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are in healthcare. That's the triple aim: better, better care, high client satisfaction, low cost. Mm-hmm. If if you want these crisis programs to be effective, they have to have a way to demonstrate that they're good at it, and that and all of them have to be good. Okay, if Chick Fil A is going to start doing advertising and they know that their Tennessee locations are terrible. Mm-hmm then they shouldn't run commercials in Tennessee right? or else people are going to come to their restaurants and they're going to have problems. They need to, they need to raise the bar in Tennessee before they start telling everyone why they're great. Right. You know? Right. So any, anything, I think there's so many examples of this in our society, you know, whatever your favorite airline is or your, favorite, yeah. you know, yeah. but those companies have gone a long way to standardize what they do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going to be a high level experience. Wherever yeah. You go. We just chatted with a manager at Anna's house in Holland and we were talking, she's been in the industry for a while and we were thanking her for her customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, she went out of her way to take an expired, um, Oh, she took an expired uh, gift card yeah. coupon, and she's like, "I'll take care of you." And you know, she was so kind about it. And we got to talking about Chick Fil A. The same thing. My wife is a huge fan because, in our few times that we've gone there since them coming to the north, it stood out right away that you were always going to get a yes sir or a yes ma'am. Yep. You were going to get your um, drinks refilled on a consistent basis with uh, great hospitality, and you were always going to get a my pleasure at the end of your order. Yes. Because it was in the training from wherever, you know, I don't know where they're based in, in the South Atlanta. Yeah, or, Atlanta area, yeah. But you just knew they had a standard of training that you were not going to go into a shift at Chick-fil-A unless you had this standard of customer service. And so that was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you're saying that can be found in all industries yeah, and you're trying to should, apply it We to should yours. strive for that. Right. Yeah. If, if we're doing something really well, then we should do our best to make sure that everyone can do it really well, that mm-hmm. they have the support to succeed. They've got the empathy, they've got the resources. And so this is like one space that we're trying to do that. So awesome. We, yeah. So, so my, you know, my passion for mental health plays really well in my work mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's, it's a passion for, um, for people becoming the best version of themselves that they can be. Right. You know, having a high quality of life, doing things in a way that, that honors the human experience. And do you feel like the mental health field has been valued in the same way as other industries? Um, are we, are we in a shift? So I think in our, in our state, the community mental health system has been a, a, a strong, it's been a stronghold for a long time. Okay. Um, as you saw people, so, so back in the, I'll give you a quick bit of history. So back in the forties to seventies, 
you start to see this movement to say, we, we have these institutions where we send people. Mm-hmm. We had mental illness, developmental disabilities, you know, anything that would kind of be considered almost like a family blemish or just beyond the scope of what the community could help with. Right. So then in the 50s and 60s, you start to see these hospitals starting to be emptied because the prevailing thought is we are, they, they, were, they were terrible, disgusting places um, where just mass quantities of people would be kept. Um, it almost felt a little, um, uh, it, on, a, on a spectrum of genocide, where you're just you're taking yeah. you're taking people who are very different and you're yeah. putting them away and closing and, them and treating and... them worse, not not like treating them well and in a closed space, right? In closed space and then you know just uh, human waste and and you know yeah. like not meeting to people's basic needs. They're already having a hard time in and out out yep. through society, and we're putting in them in an environment that is that, worse. That would make any of us go sure lose our mind sure right yeah. So these community mental health systems start to pop up to help people who are coming out of the institutions, but also to help provide care in the community. Mm-hmm. So I talk about how I think a lot of our, our, our systems in our, our country value, they demonstrate a value for life. Um, uh, you know, like our, our health, not just our healthcare system, but like our public health system and like how we try to control diseases with mm-hmm. vaccines and how we try to do all these other things. Like we do value people living out their life as they, as they want to. Right. And so the, the good values that came out of that transition were we, um, we think people should live in their communities, around their families, mm-hmm. in places that are not restrictive if they don't have to be, where people can live as close to the life that they want to live as possible. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, 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 the mission or the, the, the co-mission or whatever of the, um, of the community mental health system. What I think we've seen happen is it becomes it, its, its own end to justify its means. So it thinks that it should exist because it has existed. And when you don't have competition or when you don't have people that are always asking, how can we do this better? Then it only gets incrementally better. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't honor the people that are being served because it's more about existence than about excellence. So we try to beat the drum to say, if we believe this, if we believe that people shouldn't be held against their will or they shouldn't be right. you know, restricted, if, if they really want to live a good quality of life, then let's start to entertain some really challenging ideas about what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and let's make, the, the, the thing I've been saying recently is let's build a system that we're proud of that we don't have to make any excuses for and that we would gladly send our family members through. Right. Right. Okay. So we take this, um, you know, these, these, and and this is honestly, this is just one, it sounds like a lot, but it's one, one piece of some of the work that I do, but sure. The concepts (laughs) translate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you asked about like, are we bringing new, um, you know, new systems? I think we're trying to bring, um, empathy, innovation, and accountability into the work that we do. Right. Two words that I love are transparency and congruency. Are you doing things in a way that are easy to understand for people and, and, and being open about how you're doing them? And then the big one, which we all struggle with, are you doing what you say you're going to do? Right. That's it. All you have to do is do what you say you're going to do. Set a mission statement and follow that statement. Mm-hmm. But that, that small thing, that, that call to accountability is so hard for all of us in so many aspects that we have desires. I think um, 
you know, Paul writes about it in one of his his books. He says, you know, I do what I yeah I don't I, I, I do what I don't want to do, or I you know I and I don't do what I want to do. Yeah, that like we we just have this tension. We we can't we can't put it together. But we, that's that's part of what we try to do with integrity. We try to help um, people who are helping others to be consistent in their mission of the work that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. The whole walk of of the inner the inner work in our deep in our soul, the the wrestling of the human condition yes. and this growing up process which is hard on all of us. <laughs> so as you've walked this and you know you are, you know, um, starting to be called in to sit on panels of discussion on this whole topic. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that affected your approach towards music? And when we when we talk about accountability, we talk about efficiency, we talk about you valuing your time. Um, what has that meant for deep deep greens and blues yeah and what what is deep greens and blues okay so deep greens and blues is a band that uh i started with some friends uh about seven years ago Mm -hmm. and um it's been the most musically satisfying experience of my life Mm. uh because it's it's felt the closest to the essence of who i am as a musician Mm. uh so it's it's a band of um just exceptional people who are also exceptionally gifted that is it's like our band is like an organism you know Mm -hmm. it's like there's all these different parts and and um it's 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 pretty great how how it's kind of come together and and pretty wild but um because i had all of these interests right going back to to all the things I was involved in in high school and yeah, college. Yeah. Um, there are, you can get, you can pick up different messages about whether or not you should um, focus on one thing, focus on a lot of things. You know, how do you find that balance? And balance has honestly been a struggle with me for my whole life about, okay, so if I'm interested in a lot of things, like what's the greater good? Like mm-hmm. what's, what's the best thing that I do with my time? Uh, knowing that my time is finite, but my interests are not. Mm-hmm. And where I've come to in the last couple years is not so much trying to apologize for my competing interests uh, or or trying to bring them up to a level that are that are all equal, mm-hmm. but to celebrate that my interests reflect the complexity of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I'm interested in being a mental health advocate and I'm interested in being a musician and both of those things bring me joy, mm-hmm. then I don't need to just do one or the other really well. Right. I heard this podcast uh, in the last year on Harvard Business Review and the podcast was called Build Your Portfolio Career. And it was about this guy who is an um, investment banker I want to say in in uh, like Latin America, like somewhere in Central America, something like that. Okay. A lot of investment banking, uh, or maybe no, maybe maybe he's ended up doing some work down there. But but okay, so he's an investment banker for Goldman Sachs. Okay. And he is a Cuban jazz music producer. Yes. So 
he just he gives this great story in the podcast about how he has these two interests yep. that are very different, that he doesn't need to apologize for one or the other, and that he's done things like had conversations with his um, his boss to say, I'm going to get my work done. He's like, I, just so you know, you do not have to worry about me. Right. Excuse me, getting my work done. Right. But I want to get, I want to find an arrangement here where when I get my work done, I'm going to work on other things that, that feed me. Yeah, absolutely. Know, that it doesn't make sense for me to sit at my desk for four hours a week. If I get done in 36 hours, what takes most people 40 mm-hmm. and, and not be able to do. And so he's been able to build an integrated life where both are celebrated. Absolutely. He's, he's won a, a, a Grammy award for his, you know, for one of the albums that they, that they produced. He's gotten business for his company <laughs> in Cuba because People that he runs in circles with, awesome. that he records with, they yeah. find out, oh, you're in investment banking. Yeah. So it just, it really spoke to my heart because it, it, it helped me to realize that like, I don't, this is, this is who I am and this is how I've been made. And so yeah. I, I should, um, I should find ways to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, you know, how does my mental health work affect my my music or, or what those underlying like themes are. Mm -hmm. I believe in the, the complex beauty of people Mm -hmm. and I've been able to, to reflect that in my songwriting. So some of my songwriting is introspective and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a needed outlet. Other times I'm trying to identify the feelings of other people, you know, and and like, what would it be like to be in their shoes and to like, and to, and to do that. I wrote a song, um, a few years ago about my experience of seeing the phones in the psychiatric hospital where I realized that like your, your cell phone usually gets taken away when you go to a hospital. Like okay. That. Yeah. So your outlet to the world is those phones. The, 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 they look like pay phones. But yeah. There's a, a switch on the back of the, 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 the shot from the classic movies, whether it's a yes. mental health hospital or jail or whatever, their exactly. outlet to the world. Exactly. And yeah. so I had a thought and I was like, what stories have those phones heard? Mm. You know, those, those cries for help, the desperation, the, the burned bridges, you know, the, the last chance opportunities, the, you know, no more chance opportunities. Like what, what stories of those phones mm-hmm. are? And so I wrote a, uh, there was three of them on the wall. So I wrote a song called three phones and it's <laughs> about, you know, what it would be like to, to, um, to be the next person in line to be able to get on the phone yeah. and what would you say? And, and what would they say? So that's, that the music helps me to um, to exercise my empathy muscle yeah. and to stay connected to the work, especially now that I'm I'm doing more systems type approaches. Right. Um, it's not. Um, it, it can be. You can start to look as, at people as numbers if mm-hmm. you're not careful, and so the music keeps my keeps my empathy switch turned on, and it. Um, I don't know. It it, it brings me. It actually sometimes brings some order to how I think and how I um, conceptualize something in yeah. a space that when you're really when you're trying to work in systems like there it, it can feel chaotic and so the, I guess that's one way that those two things kind of integrate awesome yeah awesome. another way is that um, so like I mentioned I brought I would bring my guitar to the um, uh, to the day center at my first job right? yep and I was always finding <clears throat> trying to find ways to integrate music into the work that I was doing in the hospitals. And another way was that I would, in addition to doing that, um, one of the therapists who worked with, um, 
uh, adults and adolescents with eating disorders uh, approached me and said, what if we did a songwriting group? Mm-hmm. What if we had 90 minutes and we could get the people in this group to write down what their journey has been like, like where they're at right now. Right. And then let's, let's mold that into something that would be really honoring of their experience. And so we, it was most of the time it was, it was girls and women that we would get together with them and we'd hear their stories and, and what they were struggling with. And then we try to put words to it or we'd, we'd say like, if that felt like a, like a melody, mm-hmm. you know, what would it, would it be minor? Would it be major? What would that feel like? And so we started to do that. And, um, we, by the, a lot of times by the end of the 90 minutes, we would have a song written Yeah. and we would, so we, I put my phone down just right in the middle of the room and we'd record it awesome. and then I'd go home and I'd burn like 10 copies of yeah. the song and then I'd give it to them and then they had something to leave with. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was to see how much it empowered them in their experience to recognize that first of all, their experience is not just in this moment, but also that their experience could help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, was a really powerful thing. That's something that we call peer support in my industry. The power of using people with their own lived experiences to help others who are going through something. Um, I was able to do that with uh, a group of girls who had been victims of human trafficking, mm-hmm. uh, where I spent some time doing some like collaborative writing with them. Uh, I think there's lots of opportunities. There's actually a really cool organization called Musicians on Call. Okay. And it's a group. They they basically um, connect musicians with with hospitals it's to bring musicians of any type. Some of them are famous. A lot of them are uh, yeah. into, the, into the hospitals and sing for people. Now what I've actually had some conversations with them about this, but I think the next level of that idea, which is an awesome one yeah. is to bring more music into the psychiatric hospitals mm-hmm. because nobody gets a casserole when they go to the psych hospital and very few people get flowers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's conceptualized differently. But we need to honor people who are in those dark moments, just like a kid with no hair and cancer. Like mm-hmm. that's that's easy to see that like some music would benefit would brighten their day. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd be amazed at how much the music that we brought into the hospitals would brighten those people's days. Oh, huge, you know? huge. So if if I can recognize the healing power of music, the the transformative power of music, and I can also see a group of people. Uh, in our communities who are suffering and struggling yep. and you bring those two things together. Yep. It's like the, it's like the problem and the solution. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. That's a real taste of what I picture of just heaven meeting earth. You know, music is such this other language that's heavenly that everybody connects with music in some way, shape or form, whether it's screamed, whether it's whispered, whether it's a simple guitar riff. Yeah. Um, but it's a language of the heavens and, and we, have the dirtiness of earth in us so much and we have these these hells we live in and that's often yes. happening in, in psychiatric wards or or simply in somebody's bedroom yeah. where they're just in a rough place and music has that connection piece that just whispers to them to come out just mm-hmm. get out of the clouds just a touch yeah. to see a bigger world for it, ourselves it transcends you know it, it brings yeah. everyone to a, a space that's almost above the problems or, or the the ugly familiarity that you've had in your mm. life. Um, another thing that we that we did is we would bring uh, local musicians who were, were songwriters into the hospital to play a 30-minute set on each unit of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And we really encouraged them to play their own music, yeah. stuff that they had written. Um, 
whether this is surprising or not, a lot of musicians, a lot of performing songwriters don't often play to a captive audience. And in yeah. these instances, they did. And so you would see this symbiosis because the songwriters have a need to express and write and share. Right. And the music and the, the, the individual. And for it to not to feel like a novelty, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, play this. Play Skinner, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not an afterthought. Do the song we came here for, Travis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, you're packing up like one more. Song. Yeah, the musicians have a need in in the relationship they as well. A, yeah, they have a hunger. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then the obviously the, the people who are in a, a crisis, like, mm. they have they need to be filled up, you know. Mm-hmm. And some of them don't have access to something like live music. Like live music is actually a like a. A gift it's a yeah you know it's it's not everyone not everyone is around it mm-hmm. and so we would get our customer service feedback uh on the surveys and they'd say the music was the best part of my experience awesome and we're talking about hospitals that have been there for 30 or 50 years you know that have a established uh medication protocol number of group therapy exercise right. number of art therapy they're doing a, they're doing a lot of th- good things yeah, yeah doing things that have been there for a long time yeah and people are coming back and being like yeah. actually the music had the biggest effect on my recovery awesome yeah i can only hope that we continue to explore um the potential impact of music on on all of our mental health and and that it makes for a better world yeah, and I don't think we need to wait for a, a study to do it. Right. Um, there's this uh, there's this book that Rob Bell wrote called Sex God. Sure. And the first chapter of it is a, this story from World War II, right at the end of um, the Holocaust, where these supplies, the wrong supplies, have been sent to people who are in these concentration camps. You know, mm-hmm. they've, they've been dropped out, and. Uh, I think, unfortunately, some people had died because it wasn't, they weren't dropping essentials. They were dropping, like, accessory type of supplies. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that they dropped was um, was lipstick. Lipstick, yes. Right? And so yeah. they found this woman who was dead who had lipstick on. And what Rob tries to outline is that, like, you know, it's it's... It's unfortunate that she died, and we wish that she hadn't, but like she got to experience a little bit of dignity mm-hmm. right before she did, mm-hmm. and that maybe there was some some positive about her having that experience. And all this to say that we need to, every once in a while, infuse some life and some dignity into what we're doing with people, even if it's not because everyone else told us it's the right thing to do, or because mm-hmm. it's the new fad, or because it's well-researched, but just because it's honoring of people. Right, right. And it gives them health. It gives them life. It gives them vitality. Yes. There's a reason to get up, and it's because we're loved, we're valued. Um, yeah, we, we feel like we have a place in this world. And, mm-hmm. and when, that, when that feeling is not there and there doesn't feel like a reason to get up, you, you can go deeper and deeper into the depths. Yeah, because I think how you honor people and how you treat them in that in those situations mm-hmm. or you know how, how you do things to celebrate people and honor them like that says a lot about what you believe about people yeah and what you think um, what, what, how you think the world should be mm-hmm. you know are you bringing are you infusing like vitality and life into the world or are you just keeping the status quo going you know? right so do, do something that that um, 
do something like really big and wonderful for people mm-hmm. and like and, and and then be be happy with how you've contributed to that system right yeah right well this has been really outstanding i think there's a few ways in which i'd love to wrap up um, I usually wrap up with three good questions uh, that we will hit you up on. Um, but I, being the opportunity, you are a wealth of knowledge, and this has been such a great discussion. I, uh, I don't know how much I'll edit because I just love so much of the content. Um, and, and we tend to go deep on this podcast, so I'm really thankful for that and thankful for your time. Yeah. Um, would also be honored to get a touch and, and piece of your music and maybe okay. a, a, a short description as to where we're going to go with that. Yeah, all right. So I'm going to play a song uh, that's called Roll On, and this is uh, on... Uh, my band's album, on Deep Greens and Blues album, that's coming out here in just uh, probably another two months or so. Um, but it's a song about, um, I wrote, so I'll give you the story. So yeah. I wrote it, uh, I don't, I'll be honest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on some of my dirty laundry. Uh, li- almost literally, probably, because there's probably laundry in my car. But I don't keep, I don't keep a clean car, okay? okay? I don't keep a clean car. Um, the only time I really realize that it's dirty is when someone else is going to ride in the front seat and all of a sudden I just, I act as if I just acquired this car from someone else and I'm like, can you believe this? This is terrible. Who put all this popcorn and candy wrappers right there? This is awful. Uh, We are the same man in that, in that right. So I just, you know, I value where, what my car does in the sense that it gets me from A to B, Yes. you know, but I don't. I don't worship my car. I don't, you know, like kiss it when I go home at night or whatever, or before I go to bed. And so, um, but what I did realize is that sometimes my car is an expression of, of where I'm at, you know, mm. like, uh, maybe like if some like maybe, uh, in the same way that like how often you, um, shower or something might have an impact on, uh, give an indicator of like, how you're doing. Self-care, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed that there's things about my car that I'm proud of, and there's also things about it that, like, I, I can't tell, but that you might be able to tell something about me based on how mm. my car is. Mm-hmm. So that was the impetus. But So that, so I write it from, from almost as if I'm sitting in the driver's seat of my car, but just recognizing that where my car takes me and how I relate to the world is this journey that is both good and bad, if you want to put labels on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that the most important thing to do is to roll on, is to recognize that, is to have a hope that the best days that, that we'll live in our life, we, we, we may not have lived yet. Mm. And to not just think that the, the best is behind us, but that the best is ahead of us. And so that's kind of the concept where Roll On came from. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Like this car I'm in Dusty sunlight on the dash Giving way to new horizons Second chances Pushing through the past I feel just like this car I'm in Trying to get from A to B Can't figure out if I am overrested Still untested, is this the best of me? There ain't no use in looking behind when the road.
Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. Oh, well, in light of what's so good, we're going to wrap with three questions for Travis. Okay. Um, and we are intentionally so talking about what's good. We want to begin with everyone's beginning that we don't come into this world as ugly, marred, mm. um, nasty things, but that there's a goodness, that we have an imagery. You have an Imago Deo. 
I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but <laughs> you have an image of the Almighty in you when you're born into this world. Mm-hmm. You were created to be a reflection of the Almighty. So what's good when you wake up each morning? What's good in your world that makes you come alive? Um, what's good in my world is my wife and my girls. Hmm. Like every morning, um, just like today, I get, I get to... Um, wake up around people that I love and that I'm connected with. Um, I get to um, take on this responsibility of being a teacher and a mentor and a father mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a companion um, with these people in my house that um, I, I, I try not to take lightly because like I see them growing, I, I get to cultivate, I get to support the essence of who they are, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 love them, and and try to love them not just in the way that like is familiar to me, but in the way that's gonna like honor them. Yeah, so yeah. I say it's that, and then I mean I don't. <laughs> um, I'll put it this way. I don't have a tattoo of, of the American flag on my arm. Um, maybe a temporary one during the during the 4th of July. But, sure. But I, I greatly value my freedom. And yeah. I value the ability to make choices in my life mm-hmm. about um, how, like how I, how I relate to the world and how I connect with it. Mm-hmm. And so I try to, um, I try to find this balance of, like responsible liberty or something like that where like I I am so grateful to like have the choices and the opportunities that I do but yeah. like how to do those conscientiously mm-hmm. so that's um I don't know that's that I I do once I'm finally awake like once I'm finally out of bed right then I'm excited you know for the day because it's a little hard for me to get up but <laughs> but that's for me that's what's good about life is awesome is being around having uh, community, but being around family that um, I, I am, I've been uh, commissioned to love and support. Yeah, awesome. What would you say could be better when we talk about what needs mending or change in the world today that you are passionate about? Well, um, what needs changing? We gotta be got to be good to each other mm. uh you know i was watching the election results come in last night and yeah. um you know people are like happy or sad depending on like what district you live in or whatever it seemed like a pretty mixed bag of things that happened yesterday but um we the hard thing about being a big country of like 300 million people mm-hmm. is it's easy to dehumanize one another it's easy to say all people are like this, or you people are like that, right. or you know, people that live in this state are like that. Um, man, we are all suffering. We are all struggling with something, and I think we spend too much time focusing on our differences instead of understanding how one another is doing and like relating to the world yeah. on like a deep level, and then also celebrating our similarities. You know, celebrating what we're what we're the same as, and I'm. You know, I I get I've become guilty of these things too. So. Right, right. Um. So yeah, it's about. Uh, I don't know. It's about celebrating. It's about just 
we're we're deeper than we give our give one another credit for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. That, that's what I would say. I'm thinking maybe if we could just turn the news off and MTV goes back to its roots of playing music. <laughs> yes, there we, we go. might be onto something. Yes, I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, Awesome. Last question is, what is next for you? Where do you want to take this story of yours? Mm. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I don't want to surprise my wife if she listens to this. You know, like this <laughs> Alaska! Yes, <laughs> here we go! Atkinson's going to Israel. Uh, and, and it can be very macro or micro. It could sure. be uh, that you're gigging at a brewery coming up or, yeah. or otherwise. Oh, that's a good question. Um I want to continue to find, oh man, I was listening to, I think, I want to say Malcolm Gladwell was being interviewed hmm. by somebody on a podcast I listened to recently, and it was so inter- it was so funny because he talked about how many times he's tried to redefine himself, not not as in like a Vogue way, but in like, I was a Wall Street or Washington Post journalist, and now I want to work on books, and now I want to work on podcasts, Right. and I was really struck by this idea of going into new mediums or new projects that you are wholly unprepared for, but do, but embracing that. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had dreams. I I was cool to hear you say this before we started recording, but like I've had dreams of like writing a musical or of, you know, producing some, something else. Uh, I'd, I'd love to do more songwriting, like collaborative songwriting with people. Mm -hmm. Um, that's feels like, like, it resonates with me a lot. Um, I'm I'm starting to see some things actualized and like come to fruition mm-hmm. in the work that I'm doing both in music and in mental health, mm-hmm. and that's really cool. So I, I guess I want I want more of that. Um, I want to be a part of stories that help bring heaven to earth, mm-hmm. and I want to be um, I want to help people to live how they were created to live. Yeah. And so that that can manifest in a lot of different ways, but but part of that for part of that story for me too is to find peace in my decisions and my choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said before, to realize that like I have a um, I wake up to something pretty special every day, and so sometimes I need to remind my heart that like I don't need more than that. Like that, yeah. you know, there's, yeah. a, there's an elusive chase that you can do yeah. to try and think that, like, there's some sort of exclamation point life that mm-hmm. you have to live. And so amidst all those things that I just mentioned, I also want to find beauty in the simple things that I get to engage in. Yes, yeah. I think when we first got to spend some quality time together at our uh, our first long LGR retreat, yeah. you know, we had, we had some good conversation there about this chasing of of the hero's journey towards this light up in the sky and and kind of realizing that um we're living our own hero's journey that doesn't end in tragedy or yeah or some kind of chaos because we're chasing so vividly after one one light but that we're waking up and and even in our simple lives that um, may not necessarily seem uh full of light and they might seem mundane sometimes but they have their own beauty and and hero's journey to every single day um i'm not sure if i'm uh no it makes sense and and sometimes we feel sometimes we uh 
modify parts of that story that don't need to be, mm. you know, or that, that we, yeah, we, we, we take a one, like a singular focus or, or put everything on, like put our happiness or our our perception of success and we write it on one thing. Right. When uh, we are, we're complex people, you know, we didn't even talk about like failure or anything today, but like we're, yeah. like we're epic people. Yeah. Like, we have yeah, so yeah. much, we have so much going on and uh, it would be, it would be just inaccurate to base our, um, the value of our life on one thing that we did or didn't do. For sure. When there's so many things that are, that yeah. are asked of us. Yeah, definitely. Well, where can uh, people find you? I know you you have plenty going on with Deep Greens and Blues. Sure. Um, where can people find you online or otherwise? Yeah, so um, I, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Travis J. Atkinson is my Twitter handle. Uh, my company's also on Twitter, TBD Solutions. It's like to be determined. Uh, our band is at deepgreensandblues.com. We're play, we play shows uh, mostly in West Michigan, but different parts of Michigan. Uh, like I said, 25, 35 times a year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I, that, that's it. There's probably some places where, like, my music, songs that I've written and stuff is hmm. streaming. Um, like SoundCloud, I think I've got some of my music up there. Awesome. But, yeah, and then I've, I've uh, written a couple, couple, like, mental health type papers that, or on my company's website, but awesome. those are only for the, the mental health nerds in the, in the room. <laughs> well, they're out there, and they will find <laughs> exactly. you. So, um, this has been a real pleasure, and I'm really grateful for your time. You have plenty going on, and uh, I just have loved the conversation and look forward to seeing uh, where the journey takes you next. So thank awesome. you. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. This, yeah. is, this is great. You bet.